Amen. Thank you, Michael. And uh, I didn't see nearly enough people with their phones out writing down all those dates. There's a lot of them. And uh, they were like chuckling a bit. Maybe you're insecure. But you know, I'm going to hear it. We're going to say, we didn't know what was going on. But these are all really good things. So put them in the calendar. We had, and just, just you know, I'm not going to say a name. Uh, one of our leadership team members was like, so I never know when we're meeting. And I was like, oh, well, for the last eight years, we've met on the third Thursday of the month. And it's in the calendar. You could put it in. It helps. It's a handy little device tool. We can use it. it. tells us when to get up and when to come out to really good stuff at the church. Because we are one week away from Christmas. Who's got an advent calendar at home? Come on. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm like, are we counting down? This will, who's excited? Okay, who's a bit stressed? More, okay. Who's waiting for it to be over? Oh, man, sad. So I'm going to do a bit of crowdsourcing here. I want you to be involved in this. I'm walking around a bit. What is the thing you most appreciate about the season? Maybe that is only, you know, a week of stuff. The real Christmas. Do you want to add more to that? The real Christmas. What it's really all about. The Christmas story. Christ, the birth of Jesus. Awesome, right on. We got the answer, and that's, that's, the, that's the message this morning. Thank you, Kim. Anybody else, what do you most appreciate about this season? Everyone seems more cheerful. What was over here? The warmth. Despite the cold temperatures outside, it's warmer feeling. Do we have any more? I was, I was going to rant about that for so long. Christmas music. It's like the one time of year where jazz becomes socially acceptable. <laughs> I love it. The music is fantastic. I like, if you've known me or it, I used to work in construction, I'd be up on the scaffolding in like July and all of a sudden I'm whistling We Three Kings for some reason. I'm like, I don't even know what this tune is, but it's just in my head. I love it. I have a December birthday. And so here's a funny thing. Earlier this week, I came across a post on Reddit titled, uh, Why December Birthdays Are the Worst. Who has a December birthday here? Like just a few. Okay, good. Like people, your parents timed it, I guess, right? It's a huge conversation of all these unfortunate winter births and why they hate the holidays and they hate the music and they hate having to share their birthday and the celebration with all the other stuff going on. Uh, you know, like they... I, I don't quite relate to that. I love it. It's super fun. It, I, why not share your birthday with Jesus, right? It's, it's fine. He can tag on to that too. <laughs> I love having a December birthday. It's such a fun month for me. I guess I'm in the smaller profile of all of that. Uh, although I did in my later years start realizing that there was this... Um, if you have a December birthday, maybe you can relate to this. If you know, you know where you get these... Uh, combo birthday Christmas gifts. They're like, oh, well, your birthday's only like a few days away. So we got you something even bigger. And then I started doing the math and realizing my sisters in, with their summer birthdays came out on top. The math didn't add up. My dad laughed the loudest there. I even survived working retail for years the Christmas season. And that's where the Christmas music, right? It comes on and I love it. It's just like, it's on repeat. Unfortunately, like the Paul McCartney synthy song comes on way too much. That's the one song I could do without. 
And it's just over and over again, and everyone in retail hates it. They're like, this is the worst season. You get all the uh, customers coming like on December 24th, they forgot to shop and they're irritated and it's just the same Christmas music and they can't wait for it to be over. I loved it. For me, Christmas is like two and a half months. Our tree will come down in February when my wife says, okay, it's Valentine's Day, time to take the tree down. It's super fun. I still appreciate the season. And why is because in general, it's easy to appreciate something that brings joy to you, right? When, when something brings joy in your life, you appreciate it. Uh, in Marie Kondo's, Mary Kondo's words, December brings me joy. Right? I love it. It sparks joy in my life, so I'm not throwing it out. Uh, it's hard to appreciate something when it doesn't spark joy, when in fact it actually has, and, and unfortunately a lot of times this season it is darker, the daylight hours are shorter, it's wet, it is an off season for a lot of people working, and it can be a struggling season. It could be a season where you do see some warmth, but you're like, why don't I have that? Where's my community? Where's my family? It can, it, there's all sorts of different factors, right? Uh, it, this week we wrapped up our youth group. We had a big Christmas party. We did a little white elephant gift exchange and we just had these fun little trinkets, either homemade or like $5. A lot of us had a, a ton of fun, except for the one middle school boy who ended up with uh, just this, it was kind of cool, right? It was this like Christmas mantle decoration. It looked like this old winter wizardy Gandalf thing. He didn't really care for it. It didn't spark him joy. So he didn't really appreciate it. Everyone else is having fun. He's just like, mm, I want a different toy. This is not it. He didn't appreciate the gift. What all this rambling is building up to is because in the Christmas story and where we're going to be this morning, there's a heart posture of gratitude and thanksgiving towards this season modeled by the very first Christmas story, by Mary, by the shepherds, by the angels, by everybody involved. And that's deeply rooted in joy. And I think that's a posture we need to actually have in this season, but in our lives, in order to actually fully experience and be close to God. If we actually want to model uh, a life like Jesus, if we also want to understand and be close to Jesus, we need to model his life, which was also filled with joy and appreciation despite the circumstances. You know what happened at the end of the story, right? The spoilers. Christmas story is beautiful and fun. The baby in the manger but Jesus knew what was coming for him at the end, yet he still had a full life of joy. So let's dive into the scripture. If you've got your Bibles this morning, we're in Luke chapter two. Uh, if you've got your phone, open it up. Great apps to dive into scripture, no matter how you can get to it. Uh, this, is, this is the best thing to do. Luke chapter two, just to bring you up to speed. Um, so far in the story, in the Christmas story, uh, we've got Mary, a young teenager who is engaged to be married to Joseph, uh, visited by an angel who told her she'd be pregnant with a son, even though they haven't slept together, and uh, he would be Jesus, the son of God. So after she was sorting out this massive life-changing news, uh, and Joseph comes around and through a dream and believes her and stays with her. Uh, they get married. They head off to Bethlehem where Joseph was born and uh, to register for this massive census, essentially to pay more tax and uh, very relatable for all of us. And then uh, she has the baby and we're picking the story up from there uh, where Mary gave birth in a barn. So Luke chapter two, starting at verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Let's go pause there for a sec. They were terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. What comes to mind when you think of angels? What's the first picture you have in your head? And for a lot of us, especially if we've grown up in the tradition, it's school plays with kids wearing bed sheets and a tin, tin foil halo, right? Fun, happy, bouncy. Every single time angels show up in the, Christ, not in the Christmas story, in throughout scripture, every single time people encounter uh, a being from heaven, it's always the same response. They were terrified. They were scared. They fell down on their face. What must that experience be like to be terrified of something so good? And, and then what's fascinating, uh, the most common command throughout all the scripture, the most common repeated command in the, the Christmas story, do you know what it is? Do not be afraid, right? That's not like the story we have. Nobody has that on their front lawn. Don't be afraid. Merry Christmas. <laughs> do not fear. Credit card bills coming in January. Don't be afraid. It, this needs to actually be focused on because what I found so interesting diving into this, a lot of scholars will point out that throughout the whole scripture, there's this actual human movement of every time interacting with God when angels come or God himself is speaking, there's a starting place of fear and then it moves towards joy. And they actually point out that this is kind of the entire spiritual journey. This is kind of the entire salvation journey is this human condition in our fallen world of sin where we live in fear. We're terrified. We don't know what's going on. There's anxiety and we're just trying to survive. And God actually designed us for something different. He designed us for joy. You can't have joy. Fear is the antithesis of joy. Fear is the antithesis of love. And so we have right here in the story, and, and this is uh, what we actually have here is, is seeing our condition of fear. And then, you know, the angels in the story and God and Jesus, whenever there's conversations, starts trying to correct us, says, do not be afraid. But we still keep diving back into this. So let's pick that back up. So, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Anything stand out in that? I already said joy, so that's not, you can't highlight the word joy. There's like everything's highlighted in that verse. Good news that will cause great joy. I love it. Great joy, huge joy, enormous joy. The Greek word is actually mega. You could say mega joy. Uh, but the thing that's incredible here is this is the Christmas story has brought to all of us, to all humanity, to all people, the answer that we're looking for, because see, the thing is joy is honestly what drives every single thing we do. We don't live our life in order to be grumpy or more miserable. Everything we do, we're trying to find joy. We're trying to find things that give us life. If you go to a bookstore and you check out the self-help section, which is bar none, the biggest section in there, it's how to be happy, the happiness hypothesis. Uh, every single thing is happiness, joy, uh, living your life, exuberance, celebration. Everything we do, we try to find in joy. And the problem is, we try to find joy in power or wealth, our career and identity, in relationships, in our partners, in sex, in things that give us this thing. But then it, it's fleeting. And where do we find ourselves? Upset at the thing that we thought gave us joy and then it was gone. 
And we put, we look for joy in the wrong things. So here's the angel bringing, bringing some news to the shepherd saying, we've solved it. I'm bringing you the answer. Great joy, mega joy, humongous joy for all people. Picking it up in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Good news. This is the gospel in the nutshell. This is the first time we actually see that word, good news, gospel. Uh, who has been really doing their Bible study, uh, paying attention to messages over the last several years? Good news. Do you remember the Greek word for that? It's a fun one. Close. Oh, we got one Bible nerd here. It's all right. Uangelion, where we get the word evangelism. Want to say that with me? We'll learn Greek this morning. Uangelion. Give it a try. Uangelion. Good news. That's literally what it means. It was a proclamation. This is not put in here by accident. This is the gospel story. Note how it doesn't say, uh, I bring you good news. Here is a prayer you can say so you can go to heaven. It doesn't say, here is going to be a list of stuff, how to be a better person. It doesn't say, here's how you can get healed and be healthy and rich. It doesn't say, I finally made a decision between good and evil. It just says, here is a message that will bring great joy. A savior has been born to you. Be a baby born in a manger, in a barn, in a trough. But this is going to be the Messiah, the God of the universe come in the form of a man. And who has he come to? Who's he come for? If you have your Bible and you got a pen and a highlighter like this should be marked up and focus on it. And if you're doing the Christmas story uh, in a week with your family, focus on these things, highlight it, bold it for all people. And in fact, in all four of the gospel books in the New Testament, every time we see that word euangelion, it's contextualized. Read it out. It's amazing. Every time you see it, for all people, good news for all nations, good news that will heal all sicknesses, good news that will cure all diseases, good news that will reach every person, city, tribe, and tongue. It's universal. And it's universal, and this story even shares it because it's universal. It's a story that's going to shepherds. So we talked a bit about angels, something, you know, we, we think of maybe like bathrobes and, and uh, tinsel hats, but it, like something massive and bright and terrifying. What do you think of when you think of shepherds? Peace. Now, this is where the plays actually might get it partially right. Shepherds typically were either kids but not like, not like the cream of the crop kids, the kids that couldn't go to school that were not, like they were little bits of, uh, they, they couldn't make it, right? They were the misbehaving, they couldn't focus on their homework, so they had to get a job, so they'd be that. But then the night watch, you couldn't just trust kids to watch over a flock of sheep. So you'd have some adults there too, but these were not adults. Like who's ever met a sheep? <laughs> right? Yes, he was Frank the sheep. I don't know if I can even say the words you'd use to describe a sheep, but they are dumb animals. Their skulls do not have much space in there for a brain. Okay, if, if you've ever tried to teach a cat something, it's similar, but a sheep is just a fatter, fluffier version of that that can't climb or stand up on its own even. And then if you get hundreds of them, even thousands, it's just this massive movement. So it, it's a job nobody wants to do. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. It was something that they made the kids do. And then it was something that the adults would do if they couldn't really, they weren't trusted to work in the markets. 
they maybe were ex-criminals and they couldn't find trustworthy work, people wouldn't hire them, do the night watch. That's what it is. I was trying to think of like, I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to offend any other careers here because it's a bit of a different world. But have you ever, if you've worked in retail and you ever did like night shifts or like the night stock shift in a warehouse, you, you get like people, there's introverted and then there's just like completely socially like different, right? And here's, here's what it's saying. This isn't saying, <clears throat> yeah, actually, I worked in a masonry crew, so that was, I'd just say, like, masons, stone masons. They were strange, too. This isn't saying the shepherds came to the bunch of Bible college interns who were studying in their books and praying, and then the, the angels came, and they said, hey, we revealed to you the Messiah. It actually is saying the angels came to bring out this amazing uh, thing for us to understand to the night stock crew, to the brick, the bricky crew that's working way up at hundred mile. That's who is getting this message. It's a book. What it's saying is just really showing that this is a message, universal good news that will bring great joy for everyone. So let's keep it going. So we, we've got that now verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Beautiful image. I think that's why this season is also so wrapped up in music, in, in just that joy of singing as well. I couldn't imagine how incredible that would be. Like our worship team is fantastic, but not competing against literally voices of angels. I think that would, even if I was in a grumpy mood, that would bring joy. But that's not even the focus, that's not even the point. So here's kind of how the, it wraps up the response. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone back up into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. They believed, they trusted, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They heard, they believed, they went, they experienced joy. And here's how you can tell that they experienced joy. They spread the word. Joy isn't something that stays within you. It's infectious. It spreads. It goes out. Um, and, and I think this is something that we need to wrestle with. A couple weeks ago, Leslie spoke on the idea of feelings. And, you know, there's one thing, it's good to feel the depths and the sorrows and how to work into that and find the growth and the maturity and how to seek God in that. It's also good to actually be joyful. I, I heard one pastor say it almost like a bit of a, a slogan sort of thing. He says, if you love Jesus, tell your face. <laughs> Some of us need that. There's actually a bit of a lie I've experienced growing up sometimes that says a good Christian man is stoic and stern with a stiff upper lip. And that's not actually true. C.S. Lewis even says, he's talking this idea, if, if you're aiming for emotional stoicism, uh, and it, he actually says, God finds our desires not to be something strong that we need to rule over, but the fact that our joy is too weak and the devil is triumphing. See, it's actually foolish to think a good Christian life is to find joy even when you are grumpy and you have nothing giving you pleasure. You don't worship God if he doesn't give you pleasure. You're just participating in a practice. 
You don't discipline yourself and diet if you're not actually seeing, you know, if you were to do it for eight years and you're dieting and you ate rice cakes and you still felt horrible and you're gaining tons of weight and you had no cardio or anything that you wouldn't keep doing it. Rice cakes don't give you joy. It is actually a God-designed thing in our lives to look for joy, find joy in God, to actually find pleasure in him and pleasure in the life he created for us. To have a darkened life is actually a poor testimony of how incredible God is and what he does for us. Psalm 34 talks about delight yourself in the Lord. If we can't understand how to experience joy, we may end up like a child making mud pies in a slum with no knowledge that steak on a beachfront resort exists. And we think we should be satisfied having no idea what we've missed. A couple weeks ago, we had a seniors Christmas gathering downstairs and we were sharing some stories and uh, one person stood up sharing a bit of a story about how uh, one day they were, just, they were just hanging out, I think it was at a bus stop, and somebody just said like, why are you, why are you the way you are? Like, why do you seem so happy? And they just proudly and boldly proclaimed, I've got Jesus. It's beautiful, is exactly it. The shepherds told and shared and spoke and told everyone about what had happened. They couldn't keep it in. They had this joy. And now the blunt truth is that this posture of joy where I'm kind of building up to here isn't just a suggestion. It's actually a command all throughout scriptures. Being joyful is actually commanded. And, and this is where it kind of gets hurt and hard. Because the thing is, I, I know the Bible wasn't written by robots. The authors of the Bible who are even writing and recording these words, the shepherds themselves knew that not everyone's just bubbly all the time. And that's not even what joy is. We have sorrows and loss and grief. This season specifically can be challenging. In fact, a bio, at a biological level, leading clinical psychology suggests that about 50% of our happiness is genetic. So for a lot of us, it's just the luck of the draw. If you are genetically just predisposed to be happier, joyful, if you could pick up on positivity, and then for a lot of us, you have to fight and work hard for it. But what we need to understand is joy isn't just this state of ignorance with a fronting smile and ignoring whatever's going on. We are emotional beings. We're designed to be fully emotional. So we don't disassociate from reality. What we need to do is actually look at joy as a worldview or an outlook on life. We need to look at joy as the thing that motivates us to see the positive and the godly design in people as opposed to the negative and the sin. Even the person who cuts you off in traffic, they're still made in the image of God. Terrible drivers made in the image of God. Joy is a worldview, it's an outlook, it's a heart posture that lets us see the created beauty in all the world, even the concrete jungles, even when we see destruction and decay, that there is still beauty in what God has made. It's the thing that gives us hope because we realize that we're part of a story with a completely different end. One poem ends after talking about uh, using the metaphor of music that even though there is the accidentals and there is the dissonance, there is the, the pain and unresolved sounds, there is still music because at the end in the overture, we have a finale and a conclusion. 
there is still hope that becomes our motivation, even while we're in the depths and the thickness of lament and sorrow. Joy is what guides us to a heart of appreciation and celebration instead of fear. What was Mary's response to all of this? So here's the thing. You got it. Like, let's take a little bit of a step into Mary's mind for a moment. And we, we talked about the setup. If, if this is the first time hearing the story, Mary, young teenager, terrified, but obedient. I'm going to follow God. Okay, let's see what happens. Gave birth while on a trip. There was no room in a barn, literally. Like, this is not ideal. And Mary has just had pretty much, she's like the rest of her whole life, like her evenings ruined. The rest of her life is something different. And verse 19 Actually, in all of that, then you get these, again, whatever, you get the, the save-on stock workers have come up over here, and they're kind of weird wearing tattered sweatpants. How's it going? This angel said you had a baby. Like, this is not who, you know, you're like, what are you doing here? Verse 19, Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. In all of that chaos, Mary chose a heart posture of appreciation because she was staying so close to Jesus. When you're in that kind of state of life, you have a choice. You find, okay, can I gain control back in my life? Can I do something that will uh, maybe sidestep the situation I'm in? She said, I'm going to stay close to God. That could be my source of joy. I'm going to cling on. I have no idea what it's going to be like. And this is painful. Mary experienced birthing pains. She experienced stress. She experienced medical trauma and challenge. She was human. She gave birth to a baby who was not. He was fully human, fully God. So now we have to take a look at our lives, where we're at. How does joy enter into this season for us? Does it at all? Do we have that? Can we cultivate that? And what I think is it it takes work. It takes intentionality. And it actually is our best defense at being close to and understanding God in our walk of discipleship. Martin Luther said a Christian should be joyful. If he's not, that's a sign that the devil is at work in his life. That should be a wake-up call. If you, and, and again, this is, we have sin in our world uh, caused by forces greater than ourselves. We are tempted constantly. This isn't saying you're not joyful, you're a bad person. This is saying if you're missing joy, you're missing on what God could be doing in your life. If, if joy is not a part of your character, God wants to work and bring it in, into your life. God wants to bless you with joy. If joy is not part of your life, the devil is working hard in your life because he wants you far from God. And we need to obey the command if we trust in what God says. First Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice, celebrate. So how can we do this? I've got what we're going to do this morning as we wrap up in the whole Advent series. We've been actually, we've, we've been assigning homework for all of us to actually practice and live these things out. But I think there's three things we can focus on that can really help cultivate and help us develop joy in our lives. No matter where we're at on the scale, from Grinch to Santa himself, how we experience joy in the season, it it takes effort. So the the first point is that joy, having joy is a choice. 
It takes an intentional choice. It takes intentional effort. Like I said, uh, about 50% of that is kind of genetic makeup. I, I know for myself, I'm a little bit blessed in that it's easy. It comes by me easy. But I also I know uh, my wife and a lot of her family, it's something that takes hard work. It's something that she needs to be disciplined on. And if she's not praying and studying, if she's not focused on clothing and being careful of what she's taking in and listening to, it really matters and affects her. Henry Nouwen, author, says, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose and keep choosing it every day. And there's a few things I think that are really important to, to, to focus on. The fact that uh, what, what is the content we're taking in? What are, we, uh, what are we bringing in and focusing on and studying on? Philippians 4 verse 8, this is the words of the Apostle Paul who spent a lot of his books actually helping us understand how to cultivate joy in our lives through the teachings and actions and lens of Jesus. When you read the, the epistles, the letters to the Christians in the early church, and you read it with that lens of saying, how is Paul helping us understand and learn joy? It's fascinating to see the way we do it. But uh, Philippians 4.8, uh, Apostle Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, listen to these, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. You might've had this on a, maybe a picture on your wall growing up or something like that. And it's just, yeah, I know this thing. It's an easy verse. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Another word for that could be uh, godly, of heaven, of true godliness. Think about such things. Keep your mind focused and flooded with these things. How many of us have dark TV shows that we're binging on because it's just really good content, even though it's dark and depressing? How many of us just take in dark gossip? How many of us just take in the bitter things of the day? There's this Facebook group in Mission. Uh, it's like 25,000 members or something like that. Uh, you, you're probably on it, the gossip chain of mission. What is beautiful is there's actually an individual who's taking it upon, he does this every year, who posts something he's thankful for every single day. And it's amazing that some days it's just, it's just I'm, I woke up this morning. That's a helpful thing, right? Sometimes it's like, I heard about this group giving out food. I'm thankful that people love people in need. And it's, it models, I think, for us something that we desperately need, an intentional choice to flood ourselves with the fact that even in the darkness, there is positive things. Choose joy. The second is surround yourself with joy. C.S. Lewis, again, I, I'm going to perpetually be quoting him, but good things as well as bad, as you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you have to get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them, that has promised them. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. And if you are not, you will remain dry and far away. A friend of mine a few years ago moved into uh, a 55 plus building a couple years ago. And, and he warned me, he said, you need to be extra careful when in where you live, I wish I had almost interviewed all the people around here. He said, you need to be extra disciplined in order to maintain joy in a place like this that just seems to be filled with grumpy people. 
And that's not meant to be an age thing specifically. I've been surrounded by grumpy people younger than me lead a youth group on an off day. It's, but he said, I'm surrounded by people who are grumpy. Take a look at real uh, assessment in your life. Who are you surrounded by? In general, is it a net positive? Is it a net negative? Are you the only person ever trying to spark up joy with the people you're surrounded with, with the content you're surrounded with, the setting you're surrounded with at work? Psalm 16, this is answering to the C.S. Lewis quote. Psalm 16, uh, at the end of it, wraps up saying, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. How much time do you spend close to God? Is he part of your circle too? Because again, we're, we're looking for joy. We can't get away from that. We're always looking for joy. Do we look for it in something that is eternal and stable and strong? And it takes hard work to look, to receive that joy from God. It's not something that he just bestows. Luckily by prayer and miracles, he does bless us uh, every now and then when we really need it with just some joy that seems miraculous and unfounded. Other times we need to get close to God ourselves. What we also need to do, and this is what we're going to practice this morning. We need to make time for joy. The human brain is hardwired to focus on the negative. Here's the thing, this stat I found, it takes three seconds for a negative experience to imprint on your brain, but 14 seconds for a positive experience to imprint on your brain. You do the math on there, that's five times more time needed for the positive than the negative. I've even heard it the other way of 10 positive comments or encouragement can be outdone by one negative. We're hardwired to focus because that's a little bit of that animalisticness in us still. Part of the fall of man, part of that fear is, okay, what went wrong? What, what, can, I, what can I do to dwell on, right? And we just, we don't focus on the joy. Consider the way we, we take in, it's actually fascinating, the way we take in content on our phones these days, the quick scroll on the micro feeds is interesting. I'm actually taught or we're taught when we're creating content, you only have three seconds to gain someone's attention, to communicate a message. It's interesting, in three seconds. So in three seconds, the stuff you're, you're flipping through and you get bored. So another one, another one, another one. Three seconds, the negative stuff is overwhelming you. Bad news happening over here. The world's an awful place. This politician said this thing again, and you're flooded with it. These things, the economy's going down the toilet again. Negative, negative, negative. Rarely, even when we look at our stats on social media stuff, do people make it to 14 seconds to hear the positive part the stuff we're taking in on rapid fire. We need to make time for joy. If you were around here for the last year, we did a study through a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, if you remember, it was fantastic. Just this real uh, deep look at the way we manage our time and priorities and how it affects our minds and our lives and our souls. If you're like me, uh, you, you probably made some life changes and practices coming out of that. It's fantastic. Did anyone try some of those, those tasks each week, Sabbath and prayer. If you're like me, you did it for three weeks and it was awesome. And then the grind came back right back into it. There's just so little time. We need to be very careful and very diligent on our schedules because that plays such a powerful, important role in the way we experience life and the way we can experience joy and appreciation. Here's the thing. So this week, probably one of the busiest weeks of the year for 
church work in general, especially like I'm on the side of production things and computers and we're going to make this place absolutely incredible and beautiful to worship next week. I can't wait. I, I did a bit of a mapping out for what I've got to do, all the different tasks and things I have to set up and play with computers. And I added up. So including a generous seven hours of sleep per night and some time to eat food, maybe see my family. I have 182 hours of stuff I need to do this week before Christmas. Does anybody know the issue with that? It's 168 hours in the week. Something's got to go. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And so here's the thing. I'm looking through it and I'm like, shoot, I need to prioritize. What are all these things that are stressing me out that are just going to take time? They're just focused. Not bad things, right? It's not a bad thing to work on programming the keyboard rig. What of these things are life-giving? What of these things bring joy into my life? What of these things help me actually spend time close and focusing on God, on the birth of Christ? What things help me get to a place of appreciating this whole Christmas story, the heart that the shepherds and Mary had? So here's the homework, and, what, and not even homework. We're going to do it right here now. We've got a little bit of time. Uh, at the end of most of the rows here, I think on the side, there's a tin with some pens and some paper slips. If we can pass them around, uh, see that everyone has them. They're not quite at every row. I've got a little paper sheet that's got all the days. We've got one week till Christmas. We've got seven days. It's got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're going to spend here three, four minutes. Just take a general look. What does your week look like? What's coming up? Do you got work? Do you have family plans already? Some dinners? Do you have projects you need to do? Do you got to do some Christmas shopping? Anything you got to fix at home? Does your car need the oil changed? Just generally scribble out, throw things out on your schedule. You don't have to do the hour makeup thing like that. You don't have to be as type A as I am. Um, we're going to spend a few minutes just scribbling those all out. And, uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to just kind of assess those things, see what's going on. Uh, in our week coming up to Christmas. See what kind of space there is. And again, just, just be general with it. So I'm just going to give you, we'll throw some background music on here. I'll give you a few minutes and we'll come back and take a look at what our week leading up to Christmas looks like. So even if there's still more to do, uh, if you're joining us online, we just had a sheet that just had the days of the week, writing stuff down, uh, what's going on in our weeks. Did it fill up kind of quick for some of you? I, like, I know we all have different kind of schedules, different things going on. Here's a question, and you don't have to answer this in your own head. How many of those things intentionally were designed to lead you towards joy, life-giving things? For me, I'm, I'm waiting until it's going to come after Christmas. We're going to go to Lafarge Lake, check out the Christmas lights. Do you have space in your schedule for things that you deeply appreciate, things that are deeply life-giving, things that bring you close to God or allow space for that? Do you have anything you can cut out? Like I need to be doing, cutting a few things out. Here's a challenge for this week coming up. If you need to add space to work on this practice of joy, to dive into this, to actually make space for it. Because if we don't, it won't happen. This is your pastor giving you permission, giving you a bit of a challenge to say no. You know, say no to that 
weird family dinner with the extended third and fourth detached cousins they don't really want to go to, but they came all the way out from Manitoba. I can't. Pastor said, this is, this is, uh, tell your boss, I need to do a half day. Uh, it's all, all different, right? Just say, my pastor said, uh, I have to do a half day. I, I got to come in late to work. And if they have a problem, they can get in touch with me. Email me at michael at cedarvalley.ca. <clears throat> Make this week an intentional opportunity to choose joy when you're feeling that is fleeting and gone. This morning we were praying and that's kind of a thematic topic this morning, but it is not our natural state for a lot of us. And it is hard. And again, this is not a God judging, condemning way. That's why he came down because on our own, we can't do this on our own. We're not designed to just experience this. We need his help. We need his guidance. We need to be close to the source of this joy to choose it to take a real assessment of what we're surrounded by and if that's helping us experience joy and to make space and time for joy. Because this Christmas, let's take a cue from Mary, despite the craziness, despite everything that she had planned in her life and for that evening, for that moment, uh, a cue from the shepherds, despite their circumstances they found themselves in, whoever they were, that they heard a message of good news for all people. And they chose joy. They chose to be close to God in this moment. And they found themselves in a place of appreciation because of all the amazing things that our good, good God has done for us. Amen. I just want to read this as a prayer. We sang it this morning and I want to read this as a prayer, as a bit of a benediction. <clears throat> Uh, just as we go, joy to the world uh, as a poem, we sing it. And it, it is such, it, I've heard uh, some writers say that this is more of a theological statement than a song. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. God, thank you for this example of joy that leads us to appreciation. God, thank you for the Christmas this entire experience of Christmas, God, that is you coming into our, our world because we can't do it on our own. God, I pray specifically for people here this morning who are on the, the harder side of that 50%, who joy does not come naturally. God, maybe they haven't experienced it for years. God, there are such a range of emotions experienced in this season, in, in our lives in general, God. I pray asking for your miraculous blessing, God, to just enter in, to give those people, God, to give everybody here, but specifically those who really need a taste of that joy that you bring, that you promise, that you say is your good news, your gospel, God. Help us feel that this week coming up as we look forward to celebrating your birth, your coming into our world. Amen. Just before we go, as a reminder, next week, we've got 10 a.m. breakfast service, 6 p.m. Christmas Eve service will be amazing. 
invite friends and family and neighbors. And as we go this Christmas, I hope you do too. I'll be appreciating everything the way Mary and the shepherds did because I want to be rooted in the great joy that can only come from God. Have a great week.